insurance agents from around the world. Welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from almost said Hamilton, Alabama, <laughs> Mobile, Alabama, parade first team All-American rivals, five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm great, Scott. How are you today? Best I have ever been, guys. I've got multitudes of stories to tell. I will save some of them for f- future podcasts. Bradley, our podcast today going to be a little edgy. Going to be a little edgy today. We are fortunate, guys. We've got a second-time guest on the show today, and we have a lot to discuss. This is a man that we have been dying to talk to for quite some time now, and when we get into this, you are going to understand why. And I want to give him the introduction that he's always deserved, and he especially, in my opinion, deserves right now. And again, you'll find out in just a second why. He is originally from Rochester, New York, and he currently resides in Columbus, Ohio. He is married to the beautiful Sharon, and they are currently, and and I am envious of this, enjoying their time chilling at, at out at their cottage on Buckeye Lake pretty much year-round. I'm, I'm trying to get there myself. Joe, I'm trying to get there myself. You're welcome uh, there. <laughs> exactly. He has two adult children. Vicky and Joe Petrelli Jr., and I know they are very proud of you, as they should be, and two adult grandchildren, J.J. and Marissa. He is a graduate of the Ohio State University with a Bachelor of Science degree in Actuarial Science, and he is the founder and, I believe, CEO of Demotech, which was founded in 1985 as a consulting actuary They have performed 1,600 statements of actuarial opinion regarding loss and loss adjustment expense reserves, and 1,595 of the opinions resulted in adequate or favorable loss and LAE development. Guys, here comes the big one. Drum roll, please. On July 11th, 2022, Demotech was registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as the 10th nationally recognized statistical rating organization in the U.S. Their classification is insurance companies. They have joined AM Best, Fitch, Moody's, Standard & Poor's, and five others that are reviewed by the Office of Credit Ratings. You cannot imagine how big that is. Today, Demotech reviews and rates more than 460 risks, risk-bearing entities in the United States of America, and they are uniquely rated, excuse me, our uniquely rated count is appreciably greater than all insurer rating agencies other than AM Best. That's fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you second-time guest on the IGP, and I can promise you it will not be his last. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand and welcome Mr. Joseph Petrelli. How are you, Joseph? 
Doing great. Thank you for that. Thank you very much. Joseph, we have got so much to talk about today. What I want to do, the last time you came on this podcast, Bradley, help me out here, I believe was about a year and a half ago. I think Is that so. about right? Yeah, that's about right. Since that... Which seems like it's been two weeks. Uh, exactly. Seems yeah. like it was last Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. Since that time, so much has happened, and I want to kind of go through all of what's happened, but where your name has been brought up both on the national news media circuit and just been a lot of backlash and things that have occurred, I would like for you to kind of talk to our audience for just a moment about the time frame in the past year what transpired, of course, when it happened, Bradley and I re immediately reached out to you to bring you on the show, and it's just been until today that we could get together. But explain to our audience what has transpired and kind of bring them up to today. Sure. I th thank you, Scott. What, I, I'll go for, for uh, full disclosure. I have to say I, I also have two, I, two younger grandchildren, Luca and Ellis. Oh. So we got total total of four. So I want to get their names out there too. So Luca, hey, hey Luca and Ellis, shout out to you guys. My there apologies. I'm sitting here reading this and I'm looking at all oh, of these names on here, and I'm like, no as worries. you just said that, I was like, I forgot. How old are Luca and Ellis? Uh, uh, Luca is eleven and Ellis is eight. Well, let me tell you something about Luca and Ellis. They are not going to care anything about listening to this podcast today, <laughs> Joey. But here's the but here's the beautiful thing. <laughs> this this podcast is going to live in perpetuity on the World Wide Web. There you go. And one day, Luca, one day you and Ellis are going to probably get up into like your 20s, mid-20s, and you're going to be asking questions about your grandfather, and, and hopefully he'll still be alive at that time. But you are going to listen to this podcast, guys, and you are going to be so proud of him and what he's accomplished in his life. <laughs> and... Uh, and you should be very proud of what he's accomplished. He's he's a big deal. So with that being said, yeah, let's go back in time. We yeah. left this podcast <laughs> together. We got each other's cell phone numbers. And then it seemed like not too in the not too distant future, all hell broke loose. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Well, let, let me give you a little bit of history. I think we're talking about, you know, certainly talking about what transpired in Florida. And, and let me say this, and, and this is just to give your or your listeners some some sense of it. I was fortunate to be on um, the podcast a while back, and I don't care when you count the other podcast or you count the the few minutes we've had on this one. I have talked to Scott. I've talked to you and Bradley more today than I have with the state of Florida from July in 1996 to date. Oh my God. Okay, so there's no there's no verbal communication whatsoever, very little, next to nothing in writing. But literally, I've talked to you more today than I have to them in 27 years. And so now with that as background, let's go back to March of 2022. The state of Florida legislature adjourned on March 13th of 2022. And they, they did not have any legislative reforms related to property insurance. And the reason, one of the reasons they needed that is if, if there was a letter from Commissioner David Altmeyer to Senator Blaise Ngoglia that was dated April 
April of 2021. And in that communication, Commissioner Altmeyer indicated that Florida had about 8% of the residential property insurance claims in the country, but yet that 8% of claims represented nearly 80% of all residential property litigation. So you got 8% of claims representing 80% of the litigation, and that letter was out there in 2021. The Department of Insurance, Commissioner of Insurance, the Office of Insurance Regulation has done additional research. And so on March 13th of 2022, when the legislature adjourned without addressing property insurance legislative reforms, Demotech was actually the first to issue a letter to the governor, the Speaker of the House, and the President of the Senate. And the reason we wrote to them is we thought that they were the, the people who were capable of convening a special session of the legislature. Uh, Masha Sadie, who's a TV reporter in, in Tampa, award-winning, she got hold of our letter. She got hold of some of the other things that were happening. Senator Jeff Brandis tried to use a statutory requirement to get the uh, get the legislature to reconvene. That didn't work. And so, anyway, we became sort of the the poster child, if you will, for the second for that special session in May. They had a special session in May. The Speaker of the House at that time was unwilling to cooperate with the governor. The governor had some very serious reforms he wanted. And, and I'm a political, uh, politically I'm naive. I did not realize that, you know, the Speaker of the House could stop things the way he did at that point in time. The governor had a good victory, all things considered with the May 2022 session. Unfortunately, the situation was such that even the governor knew that you know, once he was reelected, he reconvened and they had a December session as well. We do our normal review process. So that's kind of the political landscape as I saw it. We, we do our political process, our review process, non-political. Same procedures we've used for the last, well, since 1989 outside of Florida and from 1996 forward in Florida, we have six or eight major reviews a year quarterly financial statements, proposed and final reinsurance program, other communications. We handle them all the same way. We always have. If you think of that in terms of Florida, we started in 1996. We never heard a word from anyone, uh, uh, whether at the state or any place else, about how we, what we did, how we did it, why we did it. And for whatever- So can I interrupt you for one second? Please. So we started in 1996, and I believe if you're not, if I'm not mistaken, the special session, I believe you said convened in May of 2022, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Was it at that time after you sent the, the letter to the different people that you felt like could, could help this situation? Was it after the May of 2022 session? special session that they cranked up the war machine and their marketing department, you know, their marketing and their, you, you know, all of these people, the, the Donald Trump's, the DeSantis, they have war machines. And, and when I say war machines, I mean, they have people who their only job is to, to send out 
news articles and and things for or against certain people or organizations? What is it at that time that you got bombarded with what happened relative to the negative publicity related to Demotech? Or are we getting to coming up on that here in just a minute? Well, I, I think the May session, we, we were the first to publicly call for it. They right. had a decent session in May. And subsequent to the May session, um, I, I think that if we, Demotech, and, and you know, we, we were reporting what the same that the industry was reporting, that it was a nice first step forward, but it, it the May session by itself was not going to resolve the issues sure. related to the disparate uh, litigation levels. That being said, I, I think it put us on the radar screen. And I think, again, because we haven't had communication with with the state of Florida at any meaningful level, they might have thought that we weren't supporting what they did. We do support what they did in May and again in December. So there was some miscommunication. And yeah, we were, I think we were the subject of several letters that were written. I think the FAIA also came out against us, wasn't just the state of Florida. And, and so, yeah, we were we were scrutinized, attacked, whatever word you want to use. But yeah, that, that was part of it. So in that, take us through kind of late July, 2022, kind of take us through what happened. Let me say this before you answer that, Joe. To all of our listening audience out there, there is one thing I can promise you. You do not want to get on the wrong side of a large PR firm that has been funded with millions and millions, if yeah, millions, millions and millions of dollars to discredit you in a way it doesn't matter whether it's true or not. They're they're gonna, you know, they're they're gonna find some way to try to discredit what you're doing. These political organizations and certain politicians that do have power have the ability to pick up the phone, make Mm -hmm. one phone call. And the next thing, you know, across the U S there are letters, there are news articles coming out about certain things. Go ahead, Joe. I didn't mean to get off on a tangent there. No. Well, I, I think, you know, from our perspective, and and certainly there was miscommunication uh, and, and, or, or maybe even not even miscommunication, but a lack of communication because we do support everything that happened in Florida, certainly needed tort reform. So in July of last year, we received a letter from the commissioner of insurance uh, indicating that it was his belief that we'd done some things that we hadn't done in the past. Uh, and we received a letter from um, the CFO wrote to you know Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Federal Home Finance Administration saying, you know, who, who are these guys and why are they doing what they're doing? And I, I think from our perspective, again, we, we take a longer view. We're, we're going back to 1996 when the state of Florida invited us to help them review the process of rating the takeout companies. And I, I, as I say, you know, the legacy rating agencies stepped away and we stepped up. And so I look at it from 1996 to date. I'm looking at a much longer time period. And so when we were scrutinized or, or attacked in, in uh, July of last year. Yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting to me. Uh, and I put that interesting in air quotes, because if anybody would have picked up the phone and spoken to us, we would have told them we genuinely supported everything that happened in, in the May special session. We followed the same procedure 
in July, there was some concern with the state of Florida that we were going to downgrade. I think one of their letters said 17 insurance companies. Correct. The, the irony, the irony is the letters, I believe, were dated July 19th. And we received those letters around four or five o'clock that afternoon. By the time we had those letters, we had already contacted and spoken with and had meetings with 11 companies. And every, and a matter of fact, one of the companies actually told us, because we, we called them, we said, these numbers can't be right. And they said, gee, you're right. Those numbers are wrong. So we had 11 conversations already, and, and the number of companies is immaterial. The point is we'd spoken to 11 of them by the time we got that letter that you know kind of was, was coming after us. And so if somebody would have called us, we would have told them, this is our process. We've used it for the last you know, 25 years in, in, in Florida, and, and, and we've used it 30 plus years countrywide. So we were, we were working our process consistently, and there was a lack of communication totally. Uh, that being said, you know, we we wound up uh, consuming a fair amount of time and effort responding to those letters. It, it is what it is. I, I think from our perspective, we like to think it's over. And, uh, you know, state of Florida is going to have a, a, a good, a better opportunity for profitability moving forward than it would have had without the May and December 2022 special sessions. So what you're saying is we've been on this call for 28 minutes. You've spoken with us more today than you have with anyone at a high level in the state of Florida in the last 20 years. 20 plus years. And I would say more today with anyone at the state of Florida. I mean, I, I, I would. Yes, no doubt. And that 28, 28 minutes is markedly, markedly more than <laughs> so what, everyone so what, we've spoken to. So what, not to mention, I was going back and forth with you on LinkedIn the day that all that happened, too. So. What you're saying is, is all of these politicians trying to fix this problem publicly and go after Demotech was just a bunch of grandstanding. There was actually no work behind the scenes that was going on because a reasonable person would pick up the phone and call the CEO of Demotech and be like, hey, what the hell is going on here? Correct. You know, it's usually not my my style to waffle, but I want to be careful. Is I, we, we think this is over. Yeah. We think it's behind us. We hope there could be communication in the future. I'm not looking to open up any any old uh, any old wounds on on people that have markedly more uh, personnel and uh, financial capabilities than we do. But yeah, I mean, I think a little bit of communication would have gone a, a long distance. But at the same time, I, I like to think this behind us. Hey, yeah, hey, sure. Joe, I've got a question for you. So, did they not hold? Was it a regular session or special session they had back in the October November timeframe where the state of Florida did some work towards all of the stuff that's been going on relative to litigation down there and trying to curb some of that. Is that, am I right about that? Uh, had a reform session, a reform yeah, session. two months ago, Yeah, which is what should have happened to begin with. Do you feel like you had any, maybe some of the things that happened and again, I'm not, we're not going to open up old wounds here, but do you feel a sense of pride in that? Maybe some of that, kind of was the onus behind what then happened a little bit relative to that? 
I would say that the May special session might have been, we might have been a contributor to that. I think the November one, the December one, I think was certainly, the, you know, 100% the governor's idea. But I think there were some improvements in in May that went into effect July 1 of last year, which in retrospect, when you look at, you know, Hurricane Ian and Hurricane uh, Nicole, you got 700,000 claims that occurred between July 1, when the May special session went into effect, and, and, the, and the, the next special session. So I think to the extent that there was something in, in July 1 that that favorably impacted uh, what, what could have been with the uh, 700,000 plus claims from Nicole and Ian. So, yeah, maybe we did a little something there, but, you know, at the same time, we paid dearly for it uh, in terms of uh, what happened to us. So I, yeah. I, I don't know that anybody's ahead but the state of Florida, which is well, good. And I think what happened too in July is you had all this public grandstanding of villainizing Demotech, even though there's no conversations behind the scenes going on, when the real problem is what was addressed in the special session a few months later with the property insurance reform. Correct. That's really what needed to happen. Correct. Not, oh, we need to keep Demotech from doing their job. And I did a reaction video, Joe, when the property insurance reform stuff came out a couple months ago. And kind of went through it and gave my analysis of each thing. My big concern, I would love to get your thoughts on this. Everything I saw was was mostly good. I mean, I think eliminating the assignment of benefits, that that is, in my opinion, one of the biggest, if not the biggest problem in the state of Florida. And we've we've seen some of that bleed over here to Alabama. Right. I think eliminating that, I think, you know, getting the, you know, the attorneys don't do anything but mess things up mm. in an insurance claim. There are certainly situations <clears throat> where it is warranted to hire an attorney. And I've even sure. had clients of mine. I recommend, Hey, I think you should get an attorney. I, I have but, to hire attorneys all the time, but at scale, <laughs> it was good. You come from a family of attorneys Correct. at scale. The attorneys are going to mess things up. Right. Oh, they'll, right? they'll, they'll screw a, something up. I had a young lady in my office who's trying to buy insurance from us a couple of weeks ago that could not buy insurance from us because she had an open claim. And the reason, the only, it was a minor claim. Mm -hmm. It was something super minor. The only reason she could not, she, she, the, the only reason the claim was still open was because she had hired an attorney to help with the claim. And it was such a small claim. The attorney was over fighting mm -hmm. to try and get more money out of it. Sure. When the insurance company is like, Hey, we'll fix your roof. Right. Right. You right, know what right, I mean? Right. And I'm like, and I told her, I was like, I'm going to be honest with you. Like you shouldn't have hired this attorney like that. There, there wasn't enough month. There wasn't enough blood to squeeze out of the turnip. But anyway, so my big concern with the property insurance reform in Florida is can the politicians who are all mostly attorneys, by the way, the politicians and the citizens be patient enough to see the effects of that. You make a change in insurance, like it's moving the three, Titanic. four, five, six, eight years before you actually see the positive effects, right? Can we be patient enough for that to happen? That's my my overall concern. I would love to get your thoughts on that. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm I'm an actuary by background. I've been in the insurance industry forever, and and I, your point is extremely well taken about how long it takes. I, I always tell people when a good example of how long things takes and how difficult it is is if you're trying to swing a piece of a piece of plywood underwater. Right. I mean, it, it, take, you, it takes a while, you know, and I, I think when you look at the, the way the law is going into effect, 
it goes uh, let's let's call the multiplicative impact of the the may reforms and the december reforms those are all in effect cumulatively july january 1 of this year but you still got 700,000 claims that occurred prior to the most recent one so there's a mixture that's out there you got claims in place from before the may reforms you got claims in place after the May reforms. You got claims in place subsequent to the December reforms. So all those, you got separate pigs going through through the same python. And and, and yeah, and I, I think it's going to take a while to shake all that out. And, and, and then you look at the staffing issues. I mean, the, the commissioner is, uh, Altmaier is no longer commissioner. Uh, there's other key people at Citizens the OIR. Citizens has a new CEO, right? Yeah, Citizens has a new CEO. There's just a, a lot of things going on. And, you know, I don't know that people make a difference on on laws that are in place, but you know, there's just a lot of different moving parts. Mm-hmm. And um, hey, hey know, Joe, it's going to take a little bit. So to add to Bradley's question, I don't know that the people of Florida, meaning the citizens of the state of Florida, have much choice. They're kind of at the the mercy of both the politicians, the carry, you know, all of citizens. this. Right. But my question to you was going to be very similar to Bradley's. Do you believe in your years of experience in the insurance business and based on the reforms that you probably have seen and know better than anybody? Will these reforms bring back carriers and make it easier for reinsurers to enter the market back into Florida? Because, you know, that's been the big problem is carriers are like, huh, we are not going in well, Florida because we are not going to be profitable. And I think that was part of the reform was there was some sort of stipulation of of people having to use private insurers, too. There was a there, there was something in there in that regard where if you had the option to use a private insurer over citizens, you had to do that. And I think that's good. But that that was the part that overly concerned me. Like, hey, look, your rates are going to go up before they go down. You've got to be patient enough to wait on them to go down. Right. I mean, I think from what I've been reading in the trade press and, you know, that, that would include you know, Artemis, that includes Inside PNC, Trading Risk, Insurance Insider, uh, National Underwriter, uh, and, and, you know, the, the insurance advocate, you, you just read the major publications and the reinsurers right now for pr- property catastrophe reinsurance, whether it's hurricane or whether it's flood or wildfire or earthquake, rates are firming. Some people are saying it's the, it's the rates are the, you know, the highest in a, in a couple generations. So I think the reinsurance costs on the regional carriers in Florida are going to be a significant issue. But I will say this about homeowners insurance, and I'm not talking about Florida anymore. I'm talking about homeowners insurance countrywide. And this is my own personal opinion. But when you think about it, what's going to go down? Mm-hmm. Is the price of roofing shingles going down? Right. Is the price of, 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 of windows going down? Hey, I'm, build, I'm building a house right now, so you're you're hitting me right pretty, in the gut with all this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, think about it though. I mean, you, you, is the the price of carpet going down? The 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 underlay under carpet, the 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 cost of a sink, not to mention the hourly wages of the people that you want to be there, right. the cost of paint, nails, 
the benefits, the benefits of the people who are coming out to visit you, the cost of the trucks, the cost of the tools. There's absolutely, I can't see anything associated with homeowners or property insurance in general that's that's headed down. And so I wonder why people promise rate decreases. I would promise a moderation of increases. Stabilization, yeah. Right, well, that's yeah, like- it's gonna, it'll become an inflationary increase instead of 30, 40, 50%. But I mean, your own house, how, how much has the cost of that gone up since you, be, since you began the conversation? Exactly. Well, and it's, it's one of those things too, you know, we, we've, we have a, had a customer last week whose rate went up $150 and was upset about it. And I'm like, man, that's a, it stayed the same. You, you, might, like, you, 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 you should know, be the happiest person in Mobile County so right now. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's not decreases. It's, it's rate stabilization. It's yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, so, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. But moving kind of transitioning a little bit, you know, Scott alluded to it in his, let's, let's move on to more positive things. Sure. Uh, Scott alluded to this in his intro, you know, July 11th, Demotech was, was registered with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as the 10th nationally recognized statistical rating organization in the U.S. Talk a little bit about That's big news. what that means, not only for you guys, what it means for insurance carriers, what it means for consumers too. Thank you. I, I think from our perspective, and again, you know, we are the 10th nationally recognized statistical rating organization. Our classification is insurance companies, which is, you know, where where our, our expertise is. Of the 10 companies that are registered, um, there's eight. Eight of the 10 are registered in the classification of insurance companies. And so you're looking at, you know, certainly AMBES, Standard Poor's, Moody's, Fitch, some others. What we are proudest of is we being Demotech in North America, in the United States, where we're active, we we are number two in terms of the uniquely rated count of insurers. And that means we have more uniquely rated insurers than Standard Poor's, Moody's, and Fitch, and, and the other companies. And so to, for consumers and insurance agents, that means that Demotech rated companies are getting added to the competitive pool gives people more choices, give agents more markets. And we, we think that that's something that is, is very, very good for everybody, including us. We know that. Um, but, but the other thing that's interesting, too, is that we are more inclined to look at smaller companies that have, you know, uh, use a lot of reinsurance. And so for our companies, you know, we're watching the reinsurance markets and we're concerned about the cost of reinsurance for them and what that means to their programs. But at the same time, these are companies, many of the companies we work with have been around for over 100 years. So they've, they've been through these sorts of cycles. So I, I think from our perspective, yes, the SEC registration, we've got the Office of Credit Ratings looking at us, which is fine. They're looking at the other NRSROs as well. And I think what we're proudest of is that the same procedures and practices that the other much larger international NRSROs have, you know, we have those in place at, at a level and uh, that, that manifests itself so that you know, we're, we're compliant as well. So what I'm hearing, and, and, you, and, you, and you and I have even been in a few discussions on LinkedIn 
where I've defended you guys, we're very familiar with demo tech down here on the coast, right? Mm -hmm. And it's starting to bleed into other parts of the United States. And sometimes I'll see agents on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter or wherever, and they're a little bit uneasy because they're so used to seeing AM best. Everybody's conditioned right. to seeing AM best. And so what I'm hearing is, is this gives agents all the more reason to be more comfortable with demo tech rated agencies because you're not, you yourself, are now being rated kind of on the same scale as an AMBS would be. Is that is that fair to say? Well, at the same scale that a, that a nationally recognized statistical rating organization would be. And I think too, I mean, we, there's other ways too to look, to look at this. Back in, I think, 2017, 2019, and I think again last year, <clears throat> 2022, the National Conference of Insurance Legislators, which is the, it's the state insurance committees and the state Senate committees in charge of insurance, they have this group that is national legislators. They've been around since I think 1969 as an organization. And 2017, 2019, 2022, they had a model act. And it was the National Conference of Insurance Legislatures Model Act on the regulation of insurance and competition amongst rating agencies. And in all three of their model acts, they specifically said, number one, the states are in charge of insurance companies, nobody else. And they called for competition amongst rating agencies. And they said specifically in each of the three uh, draft laws, Model X, they specifically mentioned Demotech as a competent rating agency. That was their term, not ours. So yeah, I'm hoping that agents will become more comfortable I mean, my God, we've been doing this since 1989. I mean, right, there's agents right. out there. We've been doing this since before some of those agents and, were born. <laughs> and I say that to say, I don't think they should be uncomfortable at all. But I think so many people, especially in more inland parts of the country, your 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 Kentuckys and and yeah. in, in Ohio's, they're just so used, you know, conditioned to seeing other mm -hmm. rating agencies. So they're just not used to seeing it. Whereas down here in Florida and Alabama, like it's yeah. you know everywhere. Um, I have a, I have a two part question and this is something I've wanted to ask you since we talked last time. So we deal, I deal with a lot of these insurance companies and everybody that listens to this knows that I'm a big proponent of insurance carriers, making it easy on us to do business with them. I gave a, a keynote presentation last week, it was supposed to be in Austin, Texas. I missed my flight and had to do it virtually to a, a an, an MGA that has some demo tech rated carriers, by the way. And the overarching, and this was to their corporate leadership and their technology department. And the overarching message, the core of my message to them was every single thing you do, do it through the lens of A, what's best for the customer and B, how do I make it easier for my agents to do business mm -hmm. with us? Because if you make it easy on me to do business with you, I can then in turn make it easy on my clients to do business with me. Everybody happy, everybody wins, right? So I think that, you know, we deal with a lot of these insurance companies and they are just, the front end is great. And then the back end is held together with, with glue, thumbtacks and paper clips. And the technology is horrible. It's legacy tech. Nothing talks to anything. We moved locations recently, Joe, or I say recently, two, two and a half years ago, we moved locations and I updated all my address with all my carriers. I'm still getting letters at the old address right. because 
you update one thing on this side of the carrier and it doesn't make its way to the other side, right? right? The right hand doesn't talk to the left hand. I think that a huge part, or not a huge part, but a part of an insurance carrier's rating, I think the technology and the ease of that technology use should be factored into that. First part, what are your thoughts on that? And B, do you guys factor that into rating? Well, I, I think should should it be? I, I think the the answer is right now Im, implicitly, and by that I mean not directly. It's it's factored in in the sense that most rating agencies will look at the expense ratio of the carrier that they're looking at, and theoretically, the human costs, the commission costs, and the uh, information technology costs are kind of baked in there. I would agree with you, and I'll get to the second part, how we factor it in, but the first part, I, I think you're right about the need for companies to prioritize that because there's the, the problem you run into is they pay for technology, they carry it on their balance sheet at, at a depreciated amount, and it's tough to kind of write that off and, and buy another system. But But the problem is, I mean, if you look at our cell phones today, versus our cell phones 10 years ago, there's no comparison. Right. And I mean, our cell phone today is literally, it's it's 10 pieces of equipment. I mean, it's just, and, and if you look at the processing systems today, the technology, the hierarchy, the way they, they can almost think is so markedly superior to what there was in the past, especially when you look at integrated systems where a company will have a claim system, a processing system, and a uh, agent's commission system, contingent commissions. Now they're all one big system with subsets. Before you used to build them in, you know, separately. Right. So no, you're right. They have to do that. And, and my reasoning for that, you may say, well, Bradley, how does that affect the financial rating of a company? Well, I think it lends itself to balls getting dropped. Yeah. 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 It, I, and it, and a claim not being paid or something of that nature. And vice versa, know? the more efficient a right. company is, the better run it is. Obviously, yeah. the opportunity there to be more profitable so therefore you you know would think well, they would be higher higher rated the way that we select a carrier to put clients with is who's going to make it easiest right yeah right. they're getting the better business to carry all you carriers out there listen to this like the carriers that make it easier on us to do business are getting the preferred business right community you'd be astounded at the number of communications your point the number of communications we receive from consumers that basically say i know you do a financial rating but this is the way they've treated me. Right. How can you give them a great, a good financial rating when this is the way I've been treated? How, how what's your thinking? And so we get, we get, we get involved in that. And, and um, we talk to consumers, you know, I mean, we got an 800 number. We answer all our phone calls. We answer all our inquiries online. If a consumer contacts us, we're going to give them our best possible answer. And, and sometimes we tell them if, if that's actually the service you you've received, there's here's the the company's phone number. Here's the Department of Insurance's phone number. You know, it sounds to us like if that's if that's a a literal discussion of the way you've been treated, it doesn't sound right to us either. So the the consumer experience, I think, is what every processing system has to be about. And uh, I'll also say this: when you think about the insurance business. I'm not sure policyholders are really your customer. At the end of the day, claimants might be your only customer. Mm -hmm. uh, policy policyholders are sort of like 
they're kind of in the parking garage. Right. Right. They, they, the ones that you really have to take care of are your claimants. And ironically, we look at claimants as people we should cancel. Right. So it's like, yeah. Are, are we looking at this backwards? Where that is a phenomenal you, you, perspective. Joe, you were preaching to the choir. I think ever, ever since this podcast started, I've always said, what will always keep the independent insurance agent with a job is going to be that we don't earn our money just taking someone's premium. When we earn our money is when the worst possible thing happens yep. to somebody. And, and, and also, as a subset to that, that is one of about four times people actually think about insurance, right? They won't think about insurance for eight, nine, 10 months until a, they get their renewal and it goes up a lot or B their house burns down or their kid gets hit in a hit and run, uh, you know, on a I 65 and they're in the hospital. Then that's all they think about is insurance. I have never agreed with someone more than what you just said. I think we need to flip this thing on its on its head almost yeah. and think about it in terms of not policy holders, but claimants. Yep. Mm-hmm. Because uh, that's the only reason any of us have a job. Yep. Right. Uh, yep. Absolutely. And and I'll say this too. I, I worked for a small insurance company in upstate New York for about five years. And in that five year period, believe it or not, this company went through pretty much every distribution system on the face of the earth. They, they, they were direct writers. And again, this was before there was the internet, but they were direct writers. They were in MGAs. They were independent agents where they started. Then they went direct writer. Then they went MGA. And then they had some hybrid system. And then they went back to independent agent. And the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, there were people inside the company, myself included, who said, why are we switching from the independent agency system? It, it's actually the one that's the most responsive to the consumer. And the company was looking for ways to make its life easier. And it wasn't looking to address mm-hmm. what the consumer was doing. But I mean, I, I, I think this idea about claimants are your real customer, that really just hit me. I'm embarrassed to say I've been in the insurance business like over 50 years, but it just hit me the last few years is we, we need to be able to discern between the person who was sitting at a stop sign and got T-boned from the person who was drunk and T-boned them. I mean, Correct. And, and, and those are two different situations and two different types of claimants. And, and the guy that was sitting there and got T-boned or the woman who was sitting there and got T-boned, that's a customer we should embrace because that's why they paid us. They didn't do anything wrong. They were stopping at a stop sign. And, you know, I mean, and they got hurt. Joe, this is a true story. I probably pick up no less than 10 policy holders, each one with home, two or three automobiles, umbrella, blah, 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 a year from friends of mine. This, this is a true story from friends of mine who call me and they say, Scott, I'm embarrassed to call you. But I bought my insurance direct from XYZ company. My wife wrecked her BMW three months ago, two months ago, a month ago. And I'm dealing with somebody in a call center that every time I call over there, I talk to a different person because these 
these direct to consumer places, you know, a lot of times you don't have, you, you just have like a claims customer service number. So every single time you call, you know, they have notes in the system. That's true, but you're not dealing with the same person and they are just ready to throw their hands up and they just need help. So what I always do, and this is kind of a, I guess, a life hack for any of you insurance agents that are listening to this right now. I get them on the phone with me on my, on my smartphone on a three-way call with the carrier. And it's usually, it's usually a captive. It's usually an all state uh-huh. or state farm or farmers. And we call the claim center together. Could be auto, could be home. And I'm on the call. He tells the person or she tells the person that it's okay to talk to me. And I kind of walk through down that road with them. And every single time I do that, when we hang up the phone, they always say the exact same thing. Scott, I really appreciate what you did for me today. I'm my insurance is set to renew in July and I'm call me in June. I want to switch all my stuff over to you every, every single time probably happens five to 10 times a year that, so that, 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 that situation happens in my agency. And, and I've taken like an hour out of my time to stop what I'm doing. They don't have their insurance with me, but I get on that call with them with a customer service claims representative. And then now, now myself and that person are kind of walking down this road. And my, my friend is over here just listening to all of this. He's listening to what's going on. And, and it, it gives me a lot of altitude by the time we get off the phone. Yeah. Well, you're doing it right. I mean, I, I'll give you a for instance, and this goes back to Hurricane Katrina down in um, Louisiana way back. And that was what, 05 maybe? 05, yeah. Well, we, we had a friend down there. He was, he, was in, he was in the title insurance business. So he was in the insurance business, but he was in the title insurance side. He had his cars. He had his office. He had a house that he lived in. He had a house he was building. And Katrina struck. And every one of those situations, the autos, the business, the house that was under construction, the house that he lived in, the business autos, every time, and they're all at the same company. And he called me and he said to me, Joe, he says, every time I call this company, one's about the auto, one's about the house that's Mm -hmm. under construction, one's the house that we lived in. Is every time I call him, I got to tell the whole story again. Exactly. Don't they talk? Don't they talk to each other? So this is like the most painful. Mm-hmm. Katrina was disastrous because, well, you guys are are in the south, but I mean, the truth of the matter is, your entire family is displaced. You got no place to go. It was it, it was traumatic on top of being you know ec- an economic event. And mm-hmm. this poor guy was beside himself. He says, "Do I have to tell this story every time I call the company?" Right. And I told him, I said. I, I apologize for them, but you know, that's, I guess that's the way they're structured. Mm. And, and, you know, so anyway, it was just one of those things where here's a chance where he had everything with one company thinking that it was going to help him. Yeah. And it wound up hurting him when he had a claim because it was emotionally, it was tragic. Well, I tell my team all the time, proper communication and setting expectations, not just in insurance, in all business solves yeah. 98% of the problems you come into yeah. contact with. Correct. Yeah. 
Proper communication, yeah. setting expectations. Right. Yeah. It's okay if you can't solve the person's problem right away, as long as we communicate that mm. and the expectations are met. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Joe, I've got one last question for you, and then Bradley and I've got to run. Okay. So we had the 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 hiccup or the situation that occurred in the July time frame. You had are you had already been on the phone and, and and been communicating with some of the the 17 companies that were looking at downgrading and we were looking at numbers and readjusting things there. So fast forward to Hurricane Ian, I believe that was a September event in Florida down around Fort Myers. And and I, I'm, by all estimations will be the most catastrophic hurricane to ever hit the United States of America at somewhere between 75 and a hundred billion dollars paid out. I guess I'm just talking because I'm channeling this question through all the insurance agents, independent agents listening to this right now. And my question was going to be, has there been enough data come in yet to determine whether any of those carriers are looking at potentially closing the doors or any other carriers that have had to pull out of the state of Florida or become insolvent due to that particular hurricane or is there just not enough data yet out there to, to know whether that's the case or not good question well first I, I just in terms of the the number 17 to be associated with the companies we we're looking at I, it's it's constantly fluid so I, i'm just going to quibble with you and say let's let's just forget the number 17 sure, it was sure some i'm number. sorry my, my apologies no 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 that. no need no need to apologize that number's been out there uh, but but in terms of Hurricane Ian, the companies that we review and rate in Florida, we make them purchase an, an entire program for the season, a horizontal program. There's a first event, a second event. Uh, it's, it's a multiple event program. It's not just a big one and done. But that that being said, we, rep, we have about 50% of the property insurance, residential property insurance marketplace in, mm -hmm. in Florida. So when you look at that hundred billion that's associated with the top end of what uh, Ian might be, uh, that that includes commercial, that includes pretty much everything. But on the residential side, whatever that number is, Demotech rated companies purchased well in excess of thirty five billion dollars. So on the residential property side, our guys got enough. That being said, what's killed companies in Florida have been litigation levels that are just off the charts. I'll give you, for instance, California is the fifth largest economy in the world. They have a 12 billion, with a B, homeowners market, 12 billion homeowners insurance market. In 2021, there were companies in Florida that went under that had a tiny slice of Florida's homeowners insurance marketplace, mm -hmm. but yet that one tiny little company had more new litigation than the entire state of California's homeowners market. Think about that. One tiny little company with more new claims than the entire state of California in terms of litigation. So yeah, they were litigated to death. And we'll have some more to say about that down the line. You might even want to get me back here towards the end of the year because we'll have <laughs> more to it. say about that litigation level. But it was, it literally was, was like the litigators just put their foot on the accelerator 
and went after a few companies in Florida and just buried them with litigation levels that were unlike anything those companies had seen in recent years. Well, it's like I had these attorney attorneys on Twitter that argue with me to try and say that the attorneys were not the problem in Florida, that the oh insurance companies are. And I'm like, okay, if we look at the average claim size in Florida is just a little bit higher, just a little bit as far as the, the damage itself than the rest of the country. But yet Florida makes up whatever percentage of all of the claims in the United States, not to mention the litigation. Like, right. like there's there's no way I had a guy say, well, you don't see the data how I see it. I'm like, brother, data is data. Like right. I'm reading this verbatim. There's no way a, an unbiased third party looks at this and doesn't say that the litigation and the, the attorneys just basically having their way with the insurance companies are not to blame. Absolutely. Say on LinkedIn, I learned a lesson. Last year, it's to your point, Bradley, on LinkedIn, and there was a, a law firm in, in Florida with a case that was like, it was literally over one cent. And they were bragging about how they had won this case after three and a half, four years. And I said, I, I, I posted, he posted, and I sent to that person, I said, how can you say with all the money you spent and the company spent that winning after four years, a case over one cent is a win. And his response was, because if the bad guys would have prevailed, that one cent to the consumer would have meant tens of thousands of dollars to the attorneys. And I'm like, that was kind of an aha moment because that, that's crazy. The, the mm -hmm. consumer gets a penny and, and, and the lawyers get tens of thousands. So anyway, yeah, no, you're- You don't, I, the I, consumer does not win in that scenario. No. Like Not certainly, certainly there are situations where you need to hire an attorney. Like there's situations where somebody, an insurance company drops the ball or something's not being paid exactly correctly or, or, or in the case, you know, we have, we have a few clients that, and, and Scott does as well, that may own several hundred rental houses. Well, sometimes they want to outsource that, that way they don't have to handle it. If there's like a catastrophic event, it's, um, there's situations, but, but, you know, these attorneys, getting on Facebook or getting on TV saying we hate insurance companies is the biggest farce in marketing to ever exist. Because like we've said on a previous podcast, Joe, if you've ever dealt with one of these attorneys on the insurance company side, they freaking love you. They butter you up. It's it, it, it's like you're their best friend, you know? Well, there, there's obviously a reason why an attorney would spend millions of dollars. You do realize attorney between attorneys, pharmaceutical companies, and insurance carriers, if it was not for those three entities running commercials, I don't know that there would be television anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. Yeah, uh, You can turn on any program that you want to turn on on a television, on a direct TV or dish network, and about what eight out of 10 commercials will be one of those three commercials. So one time I'm going to tell this story real quick and I'll let you close. Joe will appreciate this as will the listeners. One time Scott and I did a speaking engagement to a group of carriers. Oh, wow. You remember this? No. And it was carrier reps, marketing people, that sort of thing. And Scott goes on this, this tangent and hones in on Liberty Mutual. Well, somebody said something about commercials yeah. or something. Yeah. And, and he said, said what is this? We've reached our lowest common denominator, I think is what well, I Liberty said. Mutual emu. I'm like, what the hell is an emu? And goes <laughs> in on it, right? 
And I'm and so and I'm not razzing you because I oh, think it was it's hilarious. hilarious. It was and then the dude running the conference comes up and he, he got and he looked like he was white as a sheet. And he says, and um, we we would really like to thank our sponsor for this session, uh, Liberty Mutual. Uh, guys, <laughs> was he, and so I find out that is a that, that is I, a true story, guys. That really happened. I don't know that you know this part of the story. Um, so two years later, I get appointed with Liberty Mutual. Right, big fan of Liberty, yeah, medium fan of Liberty. I get appointed with Liberty Mutual, and the marketing rep for my agency oh, was no. also the marketing rep that was there that day. Oh no! And they were getting their booth ready when that happened, and they had just laid out a bunch of emu themed sunglasses. And when you said that, she said we put them all back up. <laughs> it's just like, well, we the lady said something about we were talking about marketing and insurance carriers and commercials and how and we had just reached our lowest common denominator. You didn't have, I'm, I'm defending you. You didn't have a pro. It was just like that. It was like funny conjecture. You know, yeah, it was yeah. like, you know, I don't mind insurance carriers running commercials. I think they should, but uh, you know, we've reached this thing where Geico will, will run commercials that look like the old spice guy that's on a horse yeah. and he's like, throw, you know, it's, it's just this a guy running a chainsaw in his living room, and it's like, call Geico, 15, say 15%. It's it's how many seconds can we keep somebody's yeah, eyeballs yeah. on this television? It's clickbait. It's click, it's, it's the all same it is. reason why That's all it is. It's the same reason why local news stations right. share the worst very, possible news. And, and it's national news. And I'm like, why is why are you a local news station sharing an article? about someone being murdered right. in a horrible way in Cincinnati, Ohio. Oh, because you're trying to get the clicks. Correct. Like report the local news. Don't report things to get clicks. And that's part of the we we're gonna go down a, a rabbit hole. And, it, but anyway. Joe, thank you so much for being here today. We love you very much. Big fans. Well Big thank fans. You. We appreciate the opportunity and uh look look forward to the third time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Later Absolutely. this year. I can't wait. We're gonna find out who made it. It's going to be like uh, Naked and Afraid. We're going to find out who made it and who didn't make it. <laughs> Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. And as I end every, every episode, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk today and go out into the big, bad world. Create relationships. Build relationships with your people and your clients. And go make money for the people that you love in your life. Figure out what your why is and go out there and do it. Make money for your wife, for your husband, for your kids' college fund, for your parents and your in-laws that are struggling out there today. Go help them make money and write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love Thanks, you. Thanks, brother. Thanks, Joe. Joe, we love you too. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Yes, sir. We did too. Guys, you were listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we love each and every one of you. Thank you so much for being a part of our family, and we'll see you back here real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. 
Guys, we love you. We thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.